Father, please help us to learn to be open to receive from your word, and by your spirit, help your word transform us, that we might ever more grow to be like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever said something to one of your kids that became a trap for you? That you really wish you wouldn't have said? It might have been out of frustration or something like that. Um, But for me, it's usually something along the lines of, until you eat that piece of broccoli, you can eat nothing else. Now, I have children that would go on a hunger strike not to eat broccoli. And so after like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm thinking, what have I done? Because I can't back off. Then they know they can win. But I also can't get them to eat the stinking broccoli. And you just feel like, how do I get out of this? I can't tell you the number of times that I've done something like that with my kids. Um, And you just feel like, how do I get out of this and still remain faithful to me and what I said? That is the place that God was in. Now, not the mistake part. Um, God didn't fly off the handle and say something that he wished he wouldn't have said, and now he feels like he has to follow through with it. But he's in this position. And before I tell you the position, I want to give a little kind of disclaimer. As we go through the book of Romans, we're going to be studying some very foundational things. Things that I believe everybody in this room knows mostly. Or at least you have an idea of, or when I say it, it probably won't be like, oh, wow, is that what it means? Um, These are foundational things. These are things like scales in music. These are things like, hey, when you're learning to bat the ball and they say, keep your eye on the ball. Um, It's a pretty basic foundational thing. That's what we're going to be studying as we go through Romans because that's what Romans is filled with. What I hope happens is I reinforce what you already know and maybe expand it some and help you to see some things maybe you haven't, right? So here's where God finds himself. God made the world all good, all as he wanted it to be. He made humans in his image as the peak of creation in order to care for his world. And by chapter three of Genesis, they've already messed that up. So what does God do? Then in chapter 12, he says to Abraham, now I'm calling you and your offspring, and you guys are going to bring me to the world, and through you, I'm going to help fix things. And yet, we know what happens with Abraham and his offspring. They're just as bad as everybody else. And so what God is stuck in is this situation here. I love my world. I love these people but I am perfectly holy and just. 
And once I've stated my word, I can't just go, I know I told you you had to eat the broccoli, but nah, you don't have to. He can't do that. It's not who he is. It's not what his character is. And so God finds himself in this position of, how do I save people who deserve wrath without just going, eh, I won't worry about it? How does he get around that? That's where Paul's at in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. I know our reading was actually from Romans 4, which is what we were going to study today because that's where the lectionary has us, except I kept studying chapter 4 and I can't get away of chapter 3, get away from it. Um, You can't understand chapter 4 without understanding chapter 3. And so I was giving more explanation on a chapter I wasn't in than my actual sermon I was preaching on. So instead, we're doing chapter 3. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. It's on page 1604. Romans chapter 3. And... From chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is describing what I just gave to you. A lot more detail, but he's basically saying God is holy and he is just and people are sinful. What does he do about that? Page 1604, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Here is what God does. But now, Paul likes that particular way of transitioning from one thing to another. And usually it is, here's the awful truth, but. But now, apart from the law. All right, so the law. Here's what it did. The law has the commandments on it. And the law essentially did this. You screwed this up, you screwed this up, you screwed this up, you screwed this up, you screwed this up. That's all the law could do. Yes, it told you what you were supposed to do, except people kept breaking the law, and so the law was nothing but condemnation. The law was on the side of God going, you have to have wrath because you keep breaking the holiness of God. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, it's been revealed, to which the law and the prophets testify. So here's what Paul says, and then he's going to explain it. He says, we had this huge issue. How does God deal with sinful people without just letting them off the hook? Well, now his righteousness, his justice, is being revealed apart from the law. And this is something, he says, to which the law and prophets testify, and that's really important. You see, this is not a new thing. It's not as if, you know, a long way into the whole plan, God went, well, dang, <laughs> this is not working. Um, they can't keep my law. I don't, okay, I got to change plans here. I got to do something different. That's not what happened. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament, they testified to this, what he's about to describe. So God has decided to make his justice known outside of the law. What does that mean? Keep reading. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. All right, this is a point where you might learn something a little bit new, but it's really important. So this new thing that, is, that he's talking about, he says it's given through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, everybody look up at me for a moment. In Greek, that phrase can be translated two ways. 
It can be translated as faith in Jesus Christ, which then puts it on us. And what it says is when we have faith, that righteousness is made known. Or it can be translated the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That it's his faithfulness that is revealing the righteousness of God. That is the way I firmly believe it should be translated. Um, You won't find it in hardly any translations. There are a few. I almost read N.T. Wright's translation of it because he argues for this heavily. But the point here is not us. This is not about us. This is about him saying, Adam and Eve were not faithful. Abraham, not faithful. Moses, not faithful. That's why he couldn't go into the promised land. All of the Israelites, not faithful. But Jesus was. When Jesus looked at that law, every bit of it he fulfilled it. There was never a, point, never a time when the law could point at him and go, you're condemned. His faithfulness is the starting point for a new revelation of the righteousness of God. He had to be faithful. And, and this can be something that is... So if you go back to the 4th century and before that, and you go into the catacombs, you will see something that is a little different from what you see in cemeteries after that. Often in cemeteries, if it's a Catholic cemetery, you'll see crucifixes and you will see references and ideas to purgatory and to prayers for those who need to pass into heaven. If you go to a Protestant cemetery... You will see things about how people are now in blessed hope and they know joy now and all of this. It's part of even what you'll find in in funerals. We talk about now they're with the Lord and, and we focus on what? Them. If you go to the early catacombs, you'll see pictures of the good shepherd, the vine. All of the focus is on Jesus. It's on what he did. Not on us but on him being this faithful shepherd to everyone. That's what he's saying here. It's the faithfulness of Christ that is making this righteousness possible. Now, who is this for? Whatever this righteousness is, and we'll get into more detail. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. We're still there, but we're the secondary part. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here is a very important point. In their world, and Paul's been making this argument through the first three chapters, there's two basic categories of people. There's the Jewish people and there's the Gentiles. The Jewish people have the law, they have the prophets, they know Yahweh, they have the covenant. The Gentiles do not. And Paul says there's no distinction when it comes to this. It is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that makes this possible to all who believe, whether they are Jew or whether they are Gentile, whether they are male or whether they are female, whether they are American or whether they are African or Scottish or Irish or whatever. doesn't matter. There's no distinction. Why? Because all have fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of them. Right? And the idea behind this is something like last year, Um, I took my kids to a Renaissance fair. 
And one of the things they had at this fair, I have never seen at a Renaissance fair before, they had axe throwing for the people in the fair. This wasn't a display where people were, no, you got to pay money and throw axes. And they were like, you know, two feet. I mean, these were big axes. You paid for three throws. And what they had is at the very edge, so no one could be in front of the person throwing the axe, they had this giant, like almost a door with a, a, a bullseye on it. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot what that word was. And the guy would show you, he would take both hands, you go like this over your head, and then you hurl that axe. Well, the first one to do it was my nine-year-old. And here's this guy who's taking the axe, and he's like, look, here's what you do. And he's showing him exactly what he needs to do. He was showing him where to hold his feet, showing him how to throw his body, I mean, everything. And then my son would throw it, and it would bounce off the door and not even, you know, connect. Not only, it missed the bullseye and bounced off the door. So the guy would go, wait, 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 here, let's do it like this. And he would help him, and he would try it again. Well, he got to number three, never stuck it, never anything. The guy said, I'm going to give you another one. And another one. And another one. He got six throws. Guess how many he stuck? None. <laughs> Even as this guy was like showing him everything, he still could not stick this thing. That's the image here. The law shows us. Here's the holiness of God. But we're not doing it. Now, when we got to my daughter, she also got six throws. And her sixth one stuck. It wasn't a bullseye, but it did stick. And I have a video of that thing twirling through the air and just sticking in that door. Um, but she missed the first five. That's the point. So you may say to yourself, you know, I, I give to the poor. I've forgiven people. I'm nice to people. Um, and I believe that. I, I think, I hope, all of you can say I've never murdered anyone. Um, I fulfilled that commandment. But you've also broken how many of them? For every axe that is stuck, how many have fallen off the door? Right? That's his point. Everybody has fallen short. Because if you want to know what God's glory is, God's righteousness, it is perfection. It is only what Jesus did in his faithfulness. Right? So, well, who is this for? This is for everyone because every single one of us needs this. How does it work? Okay. Got it. Siri understands. It's even for Siri, apparently. All right. Go back into the text. Verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus. Um, interesting about that term, are justified freely. You need to hear this because you need to know this as a believer. That does not mean your sins are forgiven. It means more than that. Right? That terminology is law court terminology. I want you to imagine you are on trial. The judge didn't just say, okay, we won't charge you for that. That's not what happens here. It's more than that. The judge says, you are not guilty for that. You are in the right this can actually be translated in the right because the righteousness that comes through Christ becomes yours. As prideful and arrogant as this might sound, 
you can legitimately say, I am as righteous as Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're in him. You have his righteousness. Not yours. You don't want yours. You have his. And this comes through grace. We don't earn it. That's kind of what chapter 4 is about. And we'll get there next week. Um, Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Jesus bought you. Jesus paid something you could not pay. You're incapable of paying it. Do you know why you're incapable of paying it? Because the payment that you owe is death. That's the judgment. Because of the sin, because of falling short of the glory of God, it was his wrath. Once you pay that, you're done. So he paid it so that you could not only be forgiven, you could be declared right. You could be declared righteous to be before the Lord. Keep going. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Um, I really don't like that translation either because it misses something really important. Um, Paul is paralleling language from the tabernacle here, talking about the mercy seat. Jesus has become our mercy seat. In the tabernacle, the mercy seat was the place where God met with his people. That's the place of mercy. Jesus is now that for us. We don't need a temple. We don't need a a, a tabernacle. It's Christ. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Okay, you remember we got our dilemma at the beginning. How does a holy God not punish everyone for their sins and still remain holy and just? And what he says is this. So, If this is in a time sense where Jesus was crucified, everything here, God said he passed over. He didn't forget about it. He didn't sweep it under the rug and pretend it wasn't there. He passed over it to get to this point right here. So that when Christ gave his life, that sacrifice would either, listen, take care of all of that sin here, And go forward, all of this sin here. Or, here's the other option. You can take care of your own. God remains just because Jesus did not have to die. Because he was faithful, because he never sinned. The reason we die is sin. He didn't have to. So he could then take all of ours on him and die in our place. And so you are left with an option. Do you take what he did, or do you want to take it on yourself? Do you want to pay the penalty, or trust him to pay the penalty? And that's how it comes out. Keep reading. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be, ready? Just, he retains that, and the one who justifies. God now stands here to say, I retain all of my justice and holiness, and I'm justifying you because of my son. To those who have faith in Jesus, here's what it requires of us. We have to fully trust him for our righteousness 
for our future, for eternity. And I would argue that's really hard for us. Especially if you're a pretty good person. Because we like to try to be involved in the process. Let me give you an example. Unrelated to Jesus. In the 1920s, they commercialized the first boxed cake where you could take it home, put it in a bowl, and add water and bake it. And at first, it was a decent success because what was everybody doing before that point? Homemade cakes. Kind of a challenge. However, its reception plateaued off. And they discovered over time why that was. Because people wanted to be involved. They wanted to make it. They wanted to personalize it. If I go get a box and I pour water into it and then I bring it to you, that doesn't mean anything, right? I have to make it. Do you know what changed everything? Adding eggs. They removed the dry eggs out. And now what do we get when we go to the store to buy a box of cake? It's egg, oil, and water, right? That's that's it. But adding that in, it made it popular again. Because people were now like, oh, I have to do something. And then that heightened when they added in um, icing that you could just get in a jar. And now, because now I'm really personalizing this cake. We like to be a part of it. We want, our, we want it to count what we do. And so we do things like, I've got to make this up to God. I've got to be better. Man, I totally just screwed that up, and now God's not going to listen to me until I tell you what. You cannot become any more righteous than you are right now. You cannot make God love you any more than you are, than you are loved right now. He fully loves you as much as an infinite being can fully love. All you can do is respond. That's what this is. Um, there was one commentary that I read on this where they said, the end of this paragraph, the only real response is gratitude and praise. The only real response is to go, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. You took all my sin away. You made me righteous. I don't have to earn anything. I didn't deserve any of this. And as I walk through life and I mess up, I just keep coming back to the throne of grace. I want to love you and serve you because of what you've done, not to make myself more holy, not to make myself more loved by you, not to earn something from you, but because I want to respond to this amazing gift you have given me because of the faithfulness of Jesus. So, in summary, here's my big message and foundational principle. If you want to know God, if you want to become part of the family of God, if you want to have an eternity that is with him, the only way you can do that is by trusting in what Christ has already done. Trusting that when he lived his life and he completely obeyed the law, he threw every single accident, hit the bullseye without a miss at any point. That he could then take all of the wrath that people deserved onto himself. 
And God could go, now, the judgment has been given. Will you trust my son or will you trust yourself and take the wrath upon yourself? And if you trust my son, you are righteous, you are free, you are loved, you have an eternity, you belong to the family of God, you are a child of God. Keep trusting. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the message of the gospel. It is meant to be good news. And that you would love us like that. And I know that there are people here who know this message. And it can be so easy to let it just kind of skip right through our brain. And Lord, help us to respond with gratitude. To see afresh what you gave and the love you had for us that you would give this. And then help us, Lord, to throw our full trust into Jesus, not only for our salvation, but for our everyday lives. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.